We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Predicting the first and second rounds of the 2024 redraft landscape. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find the Stealing Sandals newsletter at bengretschhousestuff.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Find all of his great work at Rotoviz. And Sean, we are going back to our, our bread and butter, our favorite little topic that we like to do. Last year, we did this as well. We did it in the preseason and then again in season, a midseason update to our predicting next year's First and second round in redraft, we always do it as tight end premium, essentially like the FFPC format, single QB, but tight end premium. We did it in August. We always get a lot of uh, people that are really excited for this concept, and we really enjoy doing it. There are so many applications. It's one of the big reasons we enjoy doing it so much. There's obvious redraft implications because the players that are going to do really well or rank really well going into next year in redraft are ones that were successful this year. There's also obvious dynasty implications, right? Where we talk through some of the players that even if they succeed, they might fall a little bit, right? They have to be incredible. The older guys have to be so incredible to maintain their positions. There are so many ways to apply this line of thinking. We've gotten so many positive uh, pieces of feedback over the, over the years as we've done it. And so we, you know, continue to do it. We really enjoy it. I think this is the third year we've done it. I think we did it uh, in 2021, the first year, and didn't do a midseason update. Last year, we did the midseason update. This year, we are going to pop in with a midseason update here. It's possible. I'll just start right now. It's possible this is going to break into two episodes. Probably likely it's going to break into two episodes because we want to look back at some of the stuff we did in August and where we're at now relative to those predictions from August. We're also going to be obviously going through our results now for what we predict in 2024, some of the near misses, some of the broader landscape implications. We like to talk through the like the running back, wide receiver dynamics. Some of those things are going to come up as well. Always a fun one, Sean. And as always, we do this independently. We both just dumped it into a document. We usually, we talk about this on the show a lot. We usually do a lot of talking before the show today. Very li- limited talking. We just wanted to get on and talk through this as we go through it. Because it's all, I mean, as soon as we start talking, there's so many you know, interesting elements to our, our two lists. So we want to make sure we're recording at least all to us. that. Yeah, at least to us. No one else cares. I mean, I think some of the people care. I am geeking out because I just saw your list for the first time. I'm like, oh, 
you know, I mean, it's a two-round draft. I, I I snuck TJ Hawkinson at the end of my second round. Spoiler alert. Ooh, Sean, you did too. I have him 211, you have him 212. You know, like, it's just like, oh, like, that's that's interesting to me. Because I kind of toyed with whether Hawkinson belongs there in tight end premium. I think for some people, he's obviously there. For others, they might think that's a little bit hot uh, as a tight end too over, you know, some of the other tight ends. So there you go. A little bit of a spoiler on how we played the tight end position at the end of round two. This stuff for me is uh, is a blast. This exercise is a blast, and then comparing our notes. And for anyone else who wants to do this at home, maybe pause the the, the podcast, go try it yourself, and then compare your notes to us. Because I, I promise it is a blast to challenge yourself and do it. But Sean, so great to be doing this with you again. How are you feeling about it? Good. And I have to just reiterate how much fun it is when I got your note about it yesterday. In terms of pitching it as today's show, I was immediately giddy, excited. Uh, going through the exercise, the first round I think is really exciting because you look at those players and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to draft these guys next year already. The second round, I mean, it's a challenge because similar to this season, I do think that we start to run out of like very clear cut guys pretty early in round two. And so especially when you're doing something like forecasting the rest of round two, there are a lot of different ways to go. And this exercise in the midseason is fun because obviously you have a lot more information about the players. Certainly you get some meaningful information about the young players, which we know are extremely relevant. You also get information that's pretty important in terms of what guys at that 29, 30, 31 range are actually holding on as opposed to falling off the cliff. So we tend to have some guys completely fall out in this midseason exercise who we're sort of holding in maybe we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply even that early second range, maybe the late second range, who now, you know, you're kind of thinking, I mean, they might be challenged to stick in round six, seven, eight, even in the single digit rounds next year, because that is what will happen with some veterans. At the same time, we have some veterans who are proving again, who are probably going to be earlier in this version of it than they were in the preseason version. The other thing though, Ben, is that 
in some ways, there's a little bit of risk of being wrong on a certain type of player more so now than at the beginning of the season because some of those young guys who hit over the second half of the year, guys perhaps we were very excited about preseason, we may have them a little bit low now yeah. because you're starting to feel like, okay, well, the thesis didn't pan out if it's about to hit. And one of the interesting guys in terms of, you know, maybe in the just missed, again, you know, not too many spoilers, but Trey McBride is somebody who would have been a pure release candidate in a 20-round format a month ago. And now there's a very real chance that he, as opposed to TJ Hawkinson, could be the guy that if we get another couple of months worth of this information, you get Kyler Murray, you get again confirmation of perhaps the fact that in this offense that they're running this year it goes through the tight end i mean you're talking about somebody who was so far off the radar that super fans like myself were having to cut him to where now he could jump back into you know like round two for trey mcbride i mean that sounds absolutely insane right and so you kind of work through that like who's who's going to be the next guy right i mean who's going to be the next guy so you know do either of us have the guts to put somebody in who hasn't had a great season to this point you know, we'll see as we go through the exercise. I love this point because I thought the same thing while going through it about it's an interesting discussion midseason when we talk about the young profiles that we often see break out late in the year. And are you still projecting them to break out late in the year? Because some of the guys, we love Jackson Smith and Jigba, for example, around here, you have them in your just missed. I have them in, in my just missed. I think a lot of people would say, doesn't even belong in, among the near misses. Why Why would you even consider him in the second round? I'll go back to our preseason. And in our preseason, you had him at 106. I had him at uh, I had him at 204. So I had him in the sec early second round. But we both felt like this guy was going to have the type of rookie year that was going to pretty easily warrant him being in the first two rounds. And, he, and I will note for people, again, who think that's crazy, even like Garrett Wilson last year didn't have that great of a rookie year because of Zach Wilson. But because there was enough positivity in the underlying metrics and the profile is so strong going into year two, it's not that hard for him to then jump all the way to where he did. He was going at the one-two turn after year one where he wasn't even that good necessarily, Garrett Wilson, that is. Uh, he wasn't like, you know, he was he was obviously very good, cost-adjusted. We loved having him on all of our re, uh, redraft rosters where we had him last year. We've talked about this a ton. But he wasn't a top five overall wide receiver or anything like that. It was more, you know, projecting him forward. And that happens with these young guys. And it will happen with a JSN or a player like that, if they have a really strong second half. So I had the same thoughts. I don't have McBride in my near misses. I did consider him for the reasons you said. I, I love that you do have him in your near misses. We'll get to those way but I, have, the I, end. I was really close with him. Yeah. When I did the, when I did the exercise in my mind, um, when I woke up in the middle of the night, he was in. <laughs> and so, I mean, close. I got close. up early I wanted to, to do be it in. too. Yeah. I woke up uh, earlier than usual, about 4.30 today, Sean, and was thinking about this when I woke up. I was so excited to get to work on it. But yeah, this is going to be a blast to go through. We, we're nerds. Sorry, sorry, guys, how big of nerds we are. I do want to mention our preseason stuff and talk through that a little bit, Sean. A couple of the macro things that were interesting. You and I had very similar, and it's always fun to see. Obviously, we, we talk together every week and, and we have similar analytical styles and all these things, but it's always fun to see how similar some of these things can be because I do think it's challenging and I had to kind of, you know, really consider a couple different ways to go with a couple different spots 
we're very similar again. Spoiler alert. And actually, before we go to the August, I want to go to 2022 results really quick. I'm not going to go into the actual names, but we mentioned this in August of this year that last year, the August lists that we did were pretty good, but had some reasonably large misses. The in-season lists, a lot more accurate, a lot more in line with what ended up happening in the 2024 rounds one and two. Like, I mean, obviously, because you're getting some of the results, but like all, like very, very close to being entirely on point. Uh, so something to note, the, the, the list that we'll talk about today, I would put good money on them being, generally speaking, directionally pretty close to accurate. I mean, we pretty much nailed the 2023 first couple of rounds when we did in-season 2022. Not necessarily uh, a certainty that will happen again, but useful stuff. I mean, even I, I'm looking at the that, for one example of where we missed, we I, I had Travis Etienne 105. I don't actually have your list here, but I had Travis Etienne 105 in season 2022 for the 2023 redraft. He actually falls out of there, but looks like he should have been there, at, you know, in the first or second round. Most of the other names at the top of this are the guys that we were drafting in 2023 in the first couple of rounds. So that was something we talked about in August as well, and is something to look forward to. But when we go back to our August 2023 results one of the big macro things that we noticed because we did have similar rankings from interpositionally from a, a wide receiver one two three four five perspective rb one two three four five perspective but we were very different on the positional splits where i had three running backs in the top five rounds i felt like drafters would want to come back from the very receiver heavy landscape we had in 2023 and i had six running backs in the first round overall uh and two more in the first couple picks of the third round so i had eight in the first like 15 picks you by comparison did not have a running back until 105 that was your first again i had three in the first five picks you had another one at 107 a couple more late in the first so four in the first round one more in the early second but you had five in your top 15 picks compared to i had eight and then obviously the receivers are the inverse where you had receivers one through four you had eight receivers in your first round I only had two receivers in the top five, and I only had six receivers in the first round. I felt like the landscape would shift back toward running back. Uh, you, I think correctly, as we will go through uh, our midseason updates, saw an even further shift towards the receivers, and we've been seeing that. It's one of the big things that we'll have to discuss on this pod, that most of the top-end receivers this year in 2023 have been superstars. And I wrote a little bit about it this week. The percentage of wide receiver and tight end points league-wide that has been scored by each team's top scoring either wide receiver or tight end. So if you're looking at the Chiefs, you would go with Travis Kelsey, right? But the the, the number one pass catcher has accounted for a higher percentage of each uh, league-wide of, of the team's overall wide receiver and tight end scoring. And I also cut out some of the lower end teams I did just the top 20 for each year and then just the top 10 for each year in all three cases. And it's pretty clear. The number ones are accounting for more production in 2023 than any year in the last decade. And it's been a lot more than the last few years, the highest years prior to 2023 were the back end of that decade, 2015 and 2014 was back in an atmosphere where we saw number ones producing more. We're seeing that more here in 2023 that's a really interesting thing that, that we'll have to talk about a lot more, Sean, as the offseason comes and everything else. But it does influence, certainly, the way that we're going to look ahead at the 2024 landscape. It's something you foresaw sort of in the preseason where you had a lot of receivers, these top-end number ones still up there, and they have. I mean, they, they've produced like that. We've seen 
some really impressive results from you know Jefferson, Chase, Hill, Cup a little bit banged up. But you go down to the back end of the first round, A.J. Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown, Stephon Diggs has been great. Uh, CeeDee Lamb has been great. Even Garrett there, Wilson. There are eight wide receivers right now averaging more than 20 points, which gives you a real feel for how that number one spot on your roster, which is probably a better way to think of it than like wide receiver one and running back one separately. That top spot, if you're getting 20 plus points. Now, we're halfway through. It's going to be difficult to sustain that for all of those guys over the course of you know essentially a second half. But to have that many wide receivers scoring above 20, and I mean, there's nothing magical about 20 other than it rolls over from the teams, obviously. But I mean, it's a lot of points for those top guys to be scoring, and, and it makes a huge difference if you have them or not. And just big picture as well, there are certainly, just like every single season, I mean, we're going to always get a lot wrong. But when you look at how we tried to structure this season, to go wide receiver, wide receiver, and then to come back with those running backs in the dead zone in a very targeted way, because of the way those top receivers have scored. I mean, it has been the way to play the 2023 season. And so, I mean, I I guess I'm pretty excited about that part of it when you think about how we looked at this season from a, a global perspective strategically and then how the tactics, you know, worked out throughout that. I mean, that part to me... It is pretty exciting because it has put us in a pretty good position. We, you know, need to do well over these next couple of weeks, but hopefully it's put listeners in a good position too. I mean, that wide receiver scoring there then does filter down into what the tactics need to be throughout the entire rest of the draft. One of my absolute favorite things in the entire world is attending a live event. The atmosphere, the sound, all the little intricate details you can see when you're there live in person. It is just an amazing time. One of the biggest downsides though of it can be the stress and trying to find tickets before the event to make sure you get the best seats. And that is where game time comes in. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets on their best price guarantee you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have game time is the place to get those last minute ticket deals and it's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason exclusive flash deals on all the events coming up and you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds two taps and you're set and you can snag tickets today without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and you Use the code RODOVIS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code RODOVIS for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. Absolutely. So before, Sean, we jump into uh, the receivers that we have at the top. Uh, I'm, I just want to throw the names that we did have from August. I mentioned we had some similar interpositional rankings. I mentioned also, obviously, that we had different strengths in terms of how I was heavier on the running backs, you were heavier on the receivers. We both had Brees Hall and Bijan Robinson as our top two backs in that order. We both had, you went Gibbs, Jonathan Taylor McCaffrey as the next three. I went Taylor McCaffrey Gibbs, but we had those three as the next three. And we both had Travis Etienne RB6. So that was sort of our top. You only ended up with seven running backs in your entire ranking. I ended up with a lot more. I don't know, uh, 12 it looks like, between the first and second rounds. But our top six was the same. And we'll see a lot of those names. I think maybe all those names uh, again here at the midseason update. 
preseason, we both had uh, Chase Jefferson one, two. You had Chase ahead of Jefferson at that point. We both had Garrett Wilson three. Uh, I went Amon Ra, Cup, Tyreek Hill, Lamb, JSN, Waddle. After that, I had JSN Waddle towards the back. You were up really high on JSN uh, or Waddle and then JSN at that time. Listeners will remember. And then Lamb, Amon Ra, Tyreek, Cup. Then you have AJ Brown coming in. I've, I had AJ Brown coming in as well at that point. So very similar top you know list of receivers. Again, a lot of those names are going to show up. Some of the names that crept in towards the back end that are maybe not there anymore or are interesting to discuss on my list. I had uh, Javante Williams at 203, uh, Mark Andrews in the middle of the second round, Kenneth Walker, Ramondre Stevenson, Saquon, Tony Pollard, Chris Olave, and Travis Kelsey. I, I did a joint 212. That was my the end of my second round. You had Olave at 204. You had Kelsey and Andrews middle of the round. And then towards the back end of the round, you had George Pickens in yours, T. Higgins, Devonta Smith, Ramondre, and Quentin Johnson shows up there. Uh, we won't be talking about him again on this show. I don't, I don't suspect. He's been so good. He's been so good. <laughs> but uh, maybe, those are some of the challenger for round one. Yeah, exactly. So for anyone who uh, wants more, you know, thoughts on that stuff, you can go back and certainly obviously listen to the prior podcast. But I did want to real quick recap where we were at in the preseason. Sean, where we are now, we both have Christian McCaffrey at the 101. We do. And – I mean, he's getting outscored by Tyreek Hill. And as I mentioned, you have all of those receivers scoring in a range that when you have an older running back, you have a running back with, you know, some injury history that, you know, caused him to get pushed out of the top spot this year. And you have such a loaded overall offense and you think about this last week where they're trying to get him the touchdown record and as a result even though the other three guys score the overall volume for those three players takes a back seat to you know what they're trying to accomplish for McCaffrey we do still have to balance the fact that over the second half of this season he's going to have to compete with those guys for the touches and the result of that could be a decline in his points to a range, you know, that's in that 2021. And anytime you have a running back scoring like that, he's going to be in incredibly high demand. And yet we could have receivers go back over him. For me, the question with Jefferson, who would be the next guy? He is my 102. Is what will the quarterback situation be like? We know that Kirk Cousins has suffered this injury, that he's going to be a free agent. It'll be very compelling, probably the most interesting storyline over the second half of the season will be, you know, what does Jefferson do with Dobbs, who was very impressive in his first couple of appearances with the Vikings, was certainly able to get TJ Hawkinson a massive game. And you think about what Hawkinson's game could have looked like if the Saints had kept pace in the first half to where the Vikings were continuing to attack, right? So I don't know there are huge red flags early on for that portion. But obviously Dobbs, you know, didn't elevate Marquise Brown. And when you think about what could happen there, especially with Jefferson having this injury, I think that the the battle between those two players is going to be just so interesting to track. Obviously, they're both getting ended up in the top five. I don't think it's a complete lock that one of them is the 101. But for me, 
they are the two very strong favorites. And, you know, obviously we're talking about the 101, you know, that portion of it, probably not particularly controversial. I felt the exact same way, but I had a third name mixed in, which for me was Tyreek Hill, just the way that he's produced this year and the Mike McDaniel scheme and the way that they've been able to get him free. And I think a lot of that is still going to be in place next year for Miami to the extent that people, I mean, Tyreek was going 103 in a lot of places this year, and then he's potentially going to have such a historic year that I think he's going to be in contention for the one-on-one as well. So I actually, I, I felt it was a clear top three tier. It's interesting to hear you kind of talk through how you had it as a one-two. I started CMC Tyreek Jefferson, and I was like, I don't know where to go after this. But that's the, the, those three to me, I think people will actually argue, especially with Jefferson's injury this year, that Tyreek should go higher. You go CMC Jefferson, Lamb Tyreek. So you have CeeDee Lamb all the way up there at 103. We talked on uh, – either the Sunday show or last week's last show uh, about Lamb. I think it was last week's last show about Lamb potentially ascending into the top five. You had some really strong uh, arguments there. He went out and had another Monsters game in week 10. And I certainly think he belongs up in the top half of the first round. It's interesting trying to figure out what to do with all of these wide receivers. Because as we were just talking about, there are so many that are performing so well. So, just to go through the rest of the first half of the first round, you have five straight receivers after Christian McCaffrey. I have six straight. By 110, we both have uh, three running backs and seven receivers. It's the same seven receivers. For you, it's it's Garrett Wilson at 108 and Amon Ra at 110, sort of as the last two in that group. For me, it's Amon Ra at 107 and Garrett at 109 as the last two in that group. But the first five are the same. Through the, through the 106 pick, you have Jefferson, Lamb, Hill, Chase, A.J. Brown. I have Hill, Jefferson, Chase, A.J. Brown, Lamb. But we both go Christian McCaffrey and those five receivers in a row. It is challenging to rank them. Like I said, I want Tyreek over Jefferson. Do you want to talk through a little bit how you were able to try to split some hairs between these five really impressive wide receiver ones? So one of the interesting things that – probably isn't going to come into play in a huge way but i think could end up being a little bit of a difference maker is that if you pull up our strength of schedule streaming tool you see that the dallas cowboys have the number one remaining schedule for receivers and the new york jets have the number two and so especially if you do get someone other than Zach Wilson, I think you're going to get Garrett Wilson potentially pushing, you know, to the 104 or 105. I mean, he's been that good still with Zach Wilson and the possibility for him to very clearly elevate into that Jefferson, Lamb, Hill, Chase tier is there. The flip side of that is that the Lions – and the Dolphins both have bottom five schedules. And one of the things I've been looking at with Tua that worries me a little bit since he is someone that we're so heavily invested in for this year's fantasy is that it's not a great finishing stretch in terms of what those matchups are. Now, we would expect the Dolphins to still basically 
beat those matchups, and we would still expect Tyreek Hill to beat those matchups. And yet, it's not like they're completely irrelevant. And we saw in this game with the Kansas City Chiefs where, and I think that there are elements of that game you can just completely throw out, right? I don't love these guys having to go to, to a different continent with massively different time zones to play these games. And yet, if you have a, a good defense with a very concerted effort to take away the star, whether that's Kelsey on the Chiefs side, which we saw happen, or Hill on the Dolphins side, and, and again, you know, the Dolphins have been so good and they're going to get A-Chan back and they're going to create all of these explosive plays. But I do think that we're going to have some teams come up with at least some minor solutions for Tyreek Hill. And I think that the balancing element of that is that Jalen Waddell was so good through his first two seasons and he has been so bad over the first half of 2023 that I don't think that that part of it continues. I think that some portion of the Dolphins solving what is a difficult finishing slate has to go through Jalen Waddle. So I expect that to be balanced out a little bit more. So the schedule element, I think, could lean in the favor of Lamb. And again, not in some massive, massive way, but it is something that I am thinking could make a difference. When you have an elite number two for the Dolphins, I don't see any real hurdle for massive volume going to cd lamb now we had a breakout performance from brandon cooks or at least one of these veteran performances where there is some indication that he might be getting involved a little bit more in the offense i mean he'd been so invisible to th that point that he was actually available in one of my leagues yesterday which seems kind of crazy but if you pull up the last i mean basically if you do a perfect grouping of games for cd lamb you start exactly when he took off, which would be last year in week 10. Then from week 10 last year to week 10 this year, he's averaging 98.8 yards per game. And in that exact same stretch, Tyreek Hill is averaging 98.9. Right. So again, if you if you look at things in a perfect light for Lamb, then these two guys are pretty comparable. And I think that the remaining portion of this year is actually going to be more favorable for Lamb. And that's the reason that I pushed him in there. Now, if Tyreek Hill does go on and have a historic season and is able to maintain this, which I think is, you know, a perfectly reasonable thesis to have, then, you know, him pushing to the 101 is not in any way out of the question. Sean, you have very much convinced me on the Lamb point. Uh, I have another little data point that might further stamp things from the stealing bananas perspective of both of us that Liam is a, is a probably a, a, a buy high right now. And it's probably going to decide leagues this year because the Cowboys before the buy only had one positive pass rate over expected game since the buy three straight games at plus 8.8% or higher. Those are massively high numbers. They've come out of the bye with a clear intent to throw to win. Obviously, Tony Pollard has not been as efficient as a runner this year. It's been a massive shift. Again, one game, even in the positive, to then suddenly being three straight games, essentially nine percentage points or higher, which is massive. Like the league leader is around nine percentage points above, of, above expectation. They were 9.5% this past week. 
And those are the three games when Lamb became the first player in NFL history to have 10 plus catches and 150 plus yards in three straight games. So we <laughs> talk about, you know, cherry picking uh, timelines for the, the periods where Lamb has broken out ever since the Cowboys decided to throw with intent, just eating Lamb is about the greatest player ever. So it could be, I mean, it could literally be historic if they continue to do this type of stuff and Lamb consolidates all the number one, the way that you just described it, his lack of competition and some of those things, it fits with those broader trends we were talking about where the ways that the defenses are playing, the cover two shell, the the, the punch back we have seen this year, the, the one that I believe in the most that we've actually seen from offenses, and it's obviously scoring is still down. It's questionable how like effective it's really, really been, but it's been that they've realized whatever the defenses are doing so, so much, and then, I know that there's some data that has shown that it's you know too high versus one high, middle field open, middle field close. And when we get to the one high, we get to the, the number ones getting a ton of volume in those situations. So the two high shell concept is they shell the two high and then they they rotate off of that and they and they roll coverages. And sometimes they wind up in single high defenses. And when they do, offenses are throwing to their number ones at a crazy high rate. That's the the one trend that is, that is a clear counterpunch. And to me, Dallas is probably the best example for the reasons you just said. There's so little competition there that if C.D. Lamb went on to have 14 targets every game the rest of the way, I don't know that it would surprise me. That's not going to actually happen, but I don't think it would surprise me all that much based on all the trends that we've seen league-wide in 2023 and what you just described with Dallas's uh, you know, competition. And, and then I just described with their pass rate over expected. That is one to really highlight. I love that take, Sean. Uh I feel like I'm too low on him now because I have him at 106. So we both start with Christian McCaffrey, five straight receivers, which I think is really interesting. And I think is, um, you know, one of the big takeaways from this exercise when you look at our two lists that we both think that the, the top part of drafts will be even more wide receiver heavy next year, extremely wide receiver heavy other than Christian McCaffrey. It is interesting, though. It's not all the way through the first round. For both of us, we pivot to a lot of running backs at the one-two turn. There is a gap for us between those guys and the other guys. And, and you think through the 2023 draft landscape and a lot of the receivers, uh, you know, maybe the second round receivers, some of the the, the number twos, the Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, T. Higgins contingent, right? I mean, even Chris Olave as a number one in that second round, those guys have not performed really anywhere close to the receivers that were in the first round and read at the turn that we have already named here who have been so dominant. And so as a result, Sean, we kind of dropped some of those guys back, I think, you know, kind of looking at our, our results and trying to draw conclusions as I'm talking. But we we also like some of the running backs. And we do see some of the running backs rebound, which is something we did talk about in August, that the last few classes of running backs, there's been some serious injuries. There's been some things that are holding down ADPs. Whoever gets healthy and is productive is going to shoot back up. And there are and you some look names. at the names on here, and there's a lot of talent. And I think that part is really fun. Yeah, and that that is incredibly fun. So I mentioned our, our top six is the same. I have Amon Ra St. Brown 107 and Garrett Wilson 109. You have Garrett Wilson 108, Amon Ra 110. And then we neither of us has another receiver until 202. So the rest of the first round is running backs. They are not the same four. Three, three of the four are the same. You have Brees Hall at 107. And I. this is another one where I immediately am like, and every time we do this exercise, I'm like, yeah, I didn't I didn't spend enough time on that player. I have Brees Hall way down at 204. That's a mistake by, by me because I just, he's had a, a, a little bit of 
efficiency issues over the last few games, but I, I just wrote in stealing signals this week that if you actually look at his full sample, because he was so efficient in the early part of the season, he's still averaging like five yards a carry or you know, something ridiculous. Because he was like seven plus in his first four games, and he's been a little bit lower the last four or five. I don't think it's a real concern. And they're obviously leaning more and more into him, and he'll probably have Aaron Rodgers back next year. So I 204 is too low for Breesaw. I don't know why I had him behind the cluster of other exciting running backs. But as you noted, it's in part because they are so exciting. You have Hall at 107. You have Bijan at 109. Bijan was my RB2 at 108. I kind of want to I want to hit on him for a minute because he's a guy that I think is really interesting. Obviously not been the rookie season that we wanted, but he's a good example of one of the points that we were talking about with JSN and, and Trey McBride and those guys that might break out in the second half of this year where the young players maintain value. And I think with Bijan, it's so clear. I mean, I think we might even be low. If there's one player that does contend with this breakdown that we both have in our uh, top half of the first round where it's McCaffrey and five receivers, I think it's Bijan Robinson because he's a guy that coming into this year, even knowing Arthur Smith was a concern, everybody wanted to rank as high as they possibly could. He sat in this 109, 108 range that we have him for most of draft season, even with real concerns about Arthur Smith kind of messing around with his usage and those things that have, have transpired. But nobody, I, I don't think, or I haven't seen, is particularly concerned about his actual profile and how it's manifested. The routes have been incredibly high. Clearly his receiving skill has been on display in practice and things like that because they've used him as the obvious receiving back. His receiving numbers aren't through the roof because they don't pass a ton. I'm still optimistic, and I know I should be optimistic about people losing their job, but I'm optimistic that the Falcons are going to move on from Arthur Smith at the end of this year. If they don't, I might have to move Bijan down quite a bit. That's what I wanted to know from you. It's like, are you predicting I am. that <laughs> fired? Because, I mean, one of the things that we have witnessed this season is that even the positives that we were able to point to previously, which is that he designed this incredible run game. And then you could create some of the big plays off of that. One of the things with the move to Heineke, who, I mean, again, he's a backup QB and they waited to make the move for a while, in part because you got to give Desmond Ritter some chance to actually show what he can do. But Heineke as an above average backup, but a very clear backup. And yet the offense did not change in a meaningfully positive way once he got in there either. I don't think that you can make the argument right now that Arthur Smith even has answers in the run game for some of the defensive evolution that has transpired. And that's one of the things that you've been all over is that it's not just that defenses are evolving and taking away explosive plays in the passing game, but this idea of instead of an either or a this and type of approach from defenses where they're taking away the explosives and then also making it difficult for running games to have the success rate that they need to even keep teams in good down and distance situations, that those things are becoming more difficult. And it's probably just that we're getting such poor quarterback play from the Falcons that is you know, limiting his hand to an extent, but I mean, the Falcons have, and we've been over this many, many times, but it's not just these receivers that they have who have been destroyed, but what's happened over the last month with Bijan is very disconcerting. And I mean, you watch the Falcons and it's like everybody they have who is good is a decoy and the offense is bad. And so 
at a certain point, you really are rooting for him to get fired, just to unlock anybody. He's a defensive coach who has a really good defense and, and builds on that side of the ball, right? <laughs> then in my intro to the Zero RB universe this week, I say some positive things about Jameer Gibbs, and obviously he's in this next mix for us. This isn't something where it's meant to be a criticism specifically of Bijan, certainly, and it's definitely not a criticism of his talent. One of the things that was so striking in the first month was that Bijan Robinson, just like he did in college, moves in a way that should not be possible for a back of his size. But right now we are looking at some peripherals for these guys where Jameer Gibbs has more yards after contact per attempt, which is a little bit fluky, right? Nothing from their collegiate profile suggests that that portion is sustainable for Gibbs. But he is better there. His evasion rate is almost 10 percentage points higher, which again, I mean, that portion probably not sustainable for Gibbs, but it's a very strong comment, number one, about what he's doing and the fact that Gibbs, I mean, the fact that Robinson has not been able to create as many missed tackles and broken tackles again specifically in in the last month as he was able to do in college which i think you have to put some of that on the scheme and then also you talk about all those routes the flip side of that is that gibbs is averaging a half yard more per route than robinson and so they're deploying him but then not using him so it's that tension as well now can those things be unlocked for robinson and does Gibbs have this tricky profile where he's going to get more volume than he did in the first month, but it's also just, I mean, he's been so electric that, I mean, can he maintain some of those things? That portion will be tricky. You know, how do you balance this element of Tyler Algier really not being a huge issue for Robinson, other than he's taken some goal line work, but David Montgomery, definitely going to be an issue for Gibbs as we go forward. How do you balance those things? But the gap in the quality of these offenses and the offensive coordinators and the fact, and this is something that, you know, Blair and I were kind of pushing even back during the prospect season. And Blair especially was willing to go out there and say, look, I think that these two guys are even, I think that Gibbs might be better. I don't think that what's happened in the first half of this year hurts the argument that Gibbs might simply be the better player. And when you look at the guys who are, the very top for fantasy and you're looking at players like McCaffrey and Eckler. I mean, again, Bijan Robinson has a chance to be like the mix of Jonathan Taylor and peak David Johnson. So I think you would probably, you know, love that as well. There's no problem with the profile for either of these guys, but we are to the point where, I mean, you can certainly make the argument for Gibbs being, I mean, being the guy. Which, which is what's so funny is you did make that. You have Bijan at 109, you have Gibbs at 201, but I love, this is, uh, you know, the, the great joy of doing this with you because it is something where we are both weighing all these things and you're very much like me, are less interested in actually making the case that you made with your rankings and, and talking instead talking through the things you were considering going the other direction on, which is, I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? I think everything you just said, the, the ultimate thing, so I had Gibbs at 110. He is my RB3, two spots behind Bijan, and I had the same back and forth that you had. Uh, and the ultimate de decider for me to have Bijan ahead was the David Montgomery presence for the reasons that you said. But I do think both of these guys are going to be right there. And, and so I, I'll just say real quick, as, as you were talking, I was I was kind of getting the lay of our, our rankings a little bit more too. From one, I, I've talked about a lot of running backs here at the one-two turn for both of us. From 107 to 206, those 12 picks that are the second six picks of the first round and the first six picks of the second round, 
In those 12 picks, you and I both ranked seven uh, running backs. They are the same seven running backs. You have two in the first round that are different than the two that I have in the first round. We both have them, those names, in the first half of our second rounds. So there's no like huge surprises here with where we go with these seven guys. So I, I ended up with Gibbs at RB3 at 110. You had him actually at RB6 at 201 because of some other really interesting names that you have right above him at 111 and 112. And obviously you had Brees Hall at 107, which I mentioned having Brees Hall a little bit too low, almost certainly. But it like so Gibbs, I think is a really interesting one. Your your points on on Bijan, very interesting. Your your thoughts on Arthur Smith, I, I really need to go back to because I don't want us to spend too much more time on this, but it's so funny. Me the decoy comment again. Of, of several listeners enjoyed my little note last week that somebody needs to make Arthur Smith the decoy and call the plays instead. I appreciate you guys reaching out about that. Uh, but that is what we need. We need Arthur Smith out of the picture, right? And that's what I've been calling for. But Sean, we we did catch some flack last year about kind of, and maybe I was the one being a little more rude calling for his uh, his dismissal. But one of the reasons we did was because we thought the upside was mediocrity, right? There wasn't actually the ability to go on to the playoffs and win games if you do back into a, a, a division title. And one of the reasons for that was that last year's landscape seemed to lean into what Arthur Smith wants to do. It became so difficult to throw, but the rushing efficiency was up, as you just noted. And and that was something that last year we did talk about. I, I remember being really frustrated by, okay, he can design a good run game and he's running way more than he should, but also he can run so efficiently because the 2022 landscape allowed for that. It was the highest yards per carry in NFL history. One of the big stories of 2023 isn't that defenses have done much more to, to call the passing game. It's sort of the same deal with the passing game. It's that they've also, as you said, that this and that, they've also found a way to completely erase that rushing efficiency that went from 4.5 yards last year down to like 4.1 this year. It's a huge drop-off because historically a half yard per carry is a massive amount, right? I don't know if they're at 4.1 still, but they were early in the year. But that's been a problem. And as you noted, and I just wanted to reiterate, that's meant that Arthur Smith's offense that last year was really just set up from a macro perspective to do better than it should because that's what the league was allowing or the defenses were allowing, but still didn't have a real ceiling. It was just, you know, going to look a little better than it should. Now it's it looks even even worse, right? And, and he's not able to find answers for defenses being able to stop the run game a little bit. But even if he could, even if he could last year, that didn't mean he was going to you know be doing anything necessarily. And I also do agree with your point that the quarterback play has been a major issue. And they might be better in the second half with Taylor Heineke. And that might save his job. And that would be traumatic for me personally. But we, <laughs> we will see how that plays out. B. John Robinson, 108 for me because I'm predicting the firing. 109 for you because you're maybe more on the fence, it sounds like. after uh, And then I have Gibbs at 110. At 111 and 112, I have Travis Etienne and Devon Achan. At 111 and 112, you have Devon Achan and Austin Eckler. So Eckler and Brees are the two that you had in the first round that I have dropped to the early second. Gibbs and Etienne are the two that I had at the late first round that you dropped to the early second in your defense. You have Gibbs at 201, literally right there behind Eckler. But Achan is the one that we both snuck into the back of the first round, 11 and 12. He has been so electric from a per-game perspective, has not obviously played for a long time. We're expecting him back this week. And everything does set up for him to be more or less the bell cow, certainly in 2024. Now, there's always a possibility that further injury takes place 
or that they continue to add to that running back stable. I mean, this is a group where Raheem Mostert has been magical over this first half. They do have someone who is a good fit for them and Jeff Wilson, you know, kind of stashed there. They have HN. They made the you know very strong case with their draft selection of him that they thought he was going to be what he is, which is a star. And yet they were still in on guys like Dalvin Cook and Jonathan Taylor. Now, the fact that HN has been that good, you know, might put them in a situation where they have less incentive to do what will be, I think, pretty devastating for fantasy managers, which is to take some of that workload away. And yet at the same time, the injuries that he's undergone, you think about some of the things with the 49ers as well, and kind of the overlap between these teams and the way that they approach things. One of the things that has really hurt the 49ers over the last several years and perhaps kept them winning from winning multiple Super Bowls would be the injuries they've suffered across the skill position. So, I mean, there is some risk there. And yet, I mean, He's basically what we were hoping to get from Jameer Gibbs. And then we actually now have also gotten that from Gibbs. But to have these two guys with the explosiveness, both as rushers and receivers, and to be in the right offenses. And so this element with HN again, is a very tiny part of where I have Tyreek Hill barely down. I have Tyreek Hill fourth, I mean, and think he could go 101. So it's not selling him in any way, shape, or form. But there is a certain point at which, unless the Dolphins can get back to scoring, I mean, they're not going to score 70 very often, but can get back to scoring consistently in the high 30s, there are only so many touchdowns to go around. That would also be my question for the Detroit Lions. And so you know, maybe you want to finish out this first episode of the exercise by going through, for me and the listeners, how you have Amon Ra at seven, Gibbs at 10. Again, I think those are very justified. For me, I originally thought I was going to have Amon Ra like at 106. And then as I worked through it on all three Lions, and I'm trying to figure out you know, where their range of outcomes really is and what the risks are and you know where maybe you could get into the first month of 2024 and be like, okay, the talent question, there is none. <laughs> for these players but how does it manifest and you think about someone like a jared goff who has been brilliant and yet we still have that weekly question of do you start him? i mean a quarterback who's running one of the best offenses in the nfl should be easily startable in fantasy so i'm looking at this and i'm trying to move amon Ra as high as i can because he's been brilliant I and mean, what he did last week was amazing gibbs i think you know maybe the most talented running back like pure talent in the NFL now. And then you have Sam Laporta, who is maybe the best rookie tight end ever. But it's not just that, because you have David Montgomery, who is going to be a real thorn in the side of all of these guys. And then I don't want to overstate this, but Jamison Williams is probably going to siphon a little bit of value. And there's at least that scenario where he actually does emerge. And so, I mean, are the Lions going to go out and score? And obviously, again, it's not every game. But are they going to go out and have games where they do to maybe less interesting teams what they did to the Chargers last week? I mean, can we really project another step forward for Goff and the Lions? Because I desperately want that to be true. How are you thinking about this group and how they're going to split this pie? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And this is a tricky offense for that reason. I, 
I think I would stand behind having both AR, SB, and Gibbs in the top 10, in particular because of their unique profiles. Gibbs in the landscape of a, a running back position where like being as young as he is and the dynamism and the and the dual production, you just talked through obviously how similar he is to like CMC or an Eckler. These guys that could be overall RB1s any season and, and going into year two and all of those things, I'm I, you don't want to be low on that player. And I, I'm certainly no, you don't want to be low on that player as well. ARSB, you know, it, it's key that we're doing a PPR league, right? And so I think he's because of the, the the volume and the high, I mean, yes, he's a low ADOT guy, but it's, it's the projection uh, doer in me that is saying there's even the receivers going ahead of him, the CD lambs and everything, like it's more challenging for me to project those guys to catch as many balls as it will be to, to project Amon Ra to catch because his target rate is, his low eight out will allow me to really push his catch rate up. And, and you've, we've seen this in his stats, right? Like when he's been at his best, he can be a 10 catch a week guy, right? Like a better version of Keenan Allen, or I've compared him to a Cooper cup, right? Like a slot plus type that has the explosiveness in addition. And he has made downfield plays this year as well. So it is something where it's just like, yeah, he can compile a lot of receptions and it's the consistency down to down. But one of the interesting things with the Lions uh, as, a, as a whole, as an offense that I think also gets to this question that I think is really fun about the way that they built the roster. They've shown with some of their, their decisions, shown a, a little bit of a limited understanding of positional value, you know, taking a running back 12 overall, taking a linebacker as high as they did those things. But what they've done from a build perspective in an era where the outside wide receivers both got way more expensive, as we saw with the trades of Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, and A.J. Brown in the last couple of years, got more expensive contract-wise as well. Those guys all signed big deals, got more expensive in the draft and all of those things. But also from a scheme perspective are being limited more by the ability of these, you know, two deep shells and deep safeties. We did just talk about how these elite number one receivers are making a huge difference, but you go down even just a half step lower. If you don't have AJ Brown or Jamar Chase or, you know, Justin Jefferson, you go down a half step lower. It is hard for, you know, I, this is where I would, I argued all a lot this offseason that Garrett Wilson was a half step above Olave. And a lot of people said, well, that's not what their numbers say as a rookie. And I tried to make a really nuanced point that I thought that didn't matter. Basically. This is where I would say Lave is a half you know, a half point down where he's had to try to win at a different level and he's not able to against these tough defenses. Not not to pick on Alave specifically, but there are certain receivers that are obviously limited in this in this landscape. It's easier to double and those things, and you have to be truly transcendent to beat that. What the Lions have done instead, and, and I, they obviously didn't put a ton of draft capital into Amon Ra, but once they hit on Amon Ra as well, they did put capital into to Laporta. They did put a ton of capital into Jameer Gibbs. They built around – and they built the offensive line. And Jared Goff's strengths are accuracy and short passing. So they built around the quarterback by, hey, we're going to keep you upright, or you don't well do well under pressure either. We're going to keep you upright. We're going to protect you. And you're going to have everywhere you could ever dream of delivering the ball underneath. And then as far as our outside receivers – we're going to treat that like a zero RB mentality. We're going to bring in Josh Reynolds off the waiver wire, I think, but a guy that you're familiar with from your time with the Rams. We're going to bring in Khalif Raymond. We're going to bring in Marvin Jones. That doesn't work out. We're going to trade for Donovan Peoples-Jones. Jamison Williams was a guy that they drafted with significant capital as well. But I think they are, and they, with his playing time as well, I think this is true. They are approaching those outside wide receiver spots way more rotationally, 
way less of a focus of their offense, it will still stress defenses. And Jamison Williams is still going to stress defenses, and I think he's still going to have explosive plays. But that works perfectly to keep the defenses in these cover two shells that have to respect the explosives, but it, they're going to take them away. And then all of the volume goes underneath, right? It goes to, this is why like Adam Thielen is succeeding at a, at a degree that makes no sense for his actual skill level right now. But you, you have certain offenses that then get structured in a way that all of the volume is going to get funneled to the place. The defenses want to give you, and you're happy to take as well. Cause you're, 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 doing that consistent matriculation down the field of the ball that we've talked about. They're obviously going to run the ball a ton too behind this offensive line. But I just think this offense is going to be set up over the next couple of years where all of the volume is going to go to Amon Ra and Gibbs and Laporta in the passing game, especially it's just looked like that all year. If Jamison hits, I think he hits in a way that is exciting, but not as impactful for fantasy as it is for the NFL, as we've often said about these deep guys, right? Like it makes more of a difference on their scheme than it does I mean, he's going to have some big touchdowns that maybe put them in positive script that then maybe <clears throat> make them very run heavy and Amon Ra doesn't have a 10 catch game that week. That, that Those kinds of things can happen, obviously, through the end of next season. But I do think going into next year, looking at this Lions team as one that is focused on and, and built through the ability to matriculate the ball down the field, not like the – I mean, the Falcons – so run heavy. The Lions are still doing it through passing, and they have dynamic underneath passing weapons that also can get downfield. Laporta and Amon Ra have both shown the ability to get downfield. Gibbs is a guy you could run on a wheel route whenever you want and throw downfield to him. And you're also, because you're passing and not just running, you're passing in a way that does keep you high success rate moving the ball, but pass plays have the ability to then also hit for the big play, right? You're still having Jamison Williams stressing the defense. And when they do eventually not roll a safety over the top, you do go deep. You don't throw underneath that play. It's a really fun offense, the way that they've structured everything. And relative to what it costs to acquire these types of things, right? It's less expensive to find a slot receiver. Part of the reason Amon Ross St. Brown was a fourth round pick is this profile that doesn't scream elite number one at the NFL level. And so it, obviously they paid a lot for Jameer Gibbs, but they mostly have been you – know, they, they acquired Jared Goff cheap as well. They mostly have been building through acquiring pieces that are maybe a little bit less cost-intensive to go after those types of pieces than these you know, outside receivers are so expensive trying to get the, you know, the next A.J. Brown on your roster is, is going to be really difficult. And so they've built a different way, and they're treating that position so rotationally that uh, I think it's really sharp, honestly. And anyway, I think – it allows for an interesting statistical dynamic in the way that I would project their offense going forward. There's a very clear top tier at tight end in terms of targets per route. And that would be Kelsey McBride, Hawkinson and Laporta. McBride is way down in terms of total routes because the Cardinals saw fit to not have him be the starter for a big chunk of the season. We talked about him being in the, just missed category although there's a lot for him to still prove obviously if you remove him and that top tier is kelsey hawkinson and laporta and kelsey and hawkinson are in the second round laporta is a rookie who could take another big step does talking through that there making the case for the two guys from the lions that you have in round one i mean it would be crazy for them to have three players in the first two rounds but does it i mean does that push laporta down for you or does it almost 
you know, kind of pull him up a little bit to where you'd be even more likely to sneak him into like the 212? I was looking at him at the 212. That is why I didn't get him there. I think with tight ends, when you have the other good options, they just get asked to pass block sometimes. Like it's, it's, that's the position. So like George Kittle has been really interesting this year, but when he goes for four targets, three catches and a hundred yards in a TD, like he did last week, his target rate's been way down because they have Ayuk and McCaffrey and Debo. It's unfortunately fed back to where, well, we'll, we'll just leave Kittle in to block more. Uh, he's still running actually a lot of routes. So it's not necessarily just the blocking, but I do feel like it is the tight end position that, as a, you know, these guys can be such a matchup nightmare is the kind of the term. It's less of a, we're going to go to that matchup nightmare when we have other really good options, right? And so they become sort of the contingent upside plays in their own offenses in some respects, where Kittle plays seems to play up when one of the other guys is missing uh, a game. And I think Laporta, if Gibbs or, a- or ARSB were to miss it, in this offense I just described to me would immediately shoot up way more than, than Jameson Williams or anyone else in the offense. You'd be like, man, the is going to be the play this week. Right. But I think right now, and what I expect even the rest of this year, I do expect him to be a little bit less impactful now that Gibbs has come on. It's sort of similar to what you were saying about the HN and Tyreek dynamic for me. Like as soon as Gibbs has started to become more on this offense, I do think Laporta's is going to actually have to shift away a little bit. Well, while there'll be, more two running back heavy like last week was both of the running backs dominating and we didn't get quite as much Laporta and that's sort of the concern there I guess but I do have him in in my near misses I think he's basically a third round pick Sean uh we'll get into our second rounds and our near misses on the next episode we'll, we'll have to break this into two we, we we can't just do we love to do the marathon episodes but this one is going to be particularly long I do want to really quick recap our full first rounds for the listeners they are similar. I talked through that. CMC and then a lot of receivers, similar running backs on the back end. You have Christian McCaffrey, Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase, A.J. Brown, Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, Bijan Robinson, Amon Ross St. Brown, Devon A. Chan, and Austin Eckler as your first round. I go CMC, Tyreek, Jefferson, Chase, A.J. Brown, Lamb, Amon Ross, Bijan, Garrett, Gibbs, Etienne, and A-Chan. Again, you have Gibbs and Etienne in the top half of your second round. I have Brees and Eckler in the top half of my second round. There's a seventh receiver we both have in the top half of our second round that completes that cohort that I have been talking about we have not mentioned yet. We'll get to him in the next episode. We will, and that'll do it for part one of our 2024 first and second round projections series. I just want to note that, I mean, I have Jamar Chase at 105, and this is a guy where I had him 101 preseason. He's averaged over 20 points per game in a season where his quarterback hasn't been healthy and he hasn't been healthy. And yet somehow he's fallen. <laughs> that is how good the top guys have been. That is one of the reasons why, even though scoring, you know, has some issues overall, why 2023 has been such a fun fantasy season. Uh, That'll do it for us today. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. Make sure you are following him at yards per Gretsch, at Stealing Signals, at Stealing Lines, at Stealing Signals Gold. Make sure you check out his episode with JJ Zacharyson that is going to come out in the next couple of days. That will be fun. I know you're following him over with the ship chasing community show, what have you, the biggest phenomenon in 
fantasy sports. We'd love to have you guys over at Rotoviz. The coupon code there is RV Radio2023 at checkout, 10% off your one year subscription. The guys are doing fantastic work. I'm really enjoying the tools and writing the Zero RB universe. We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon.